Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Hey, it's great to see you guys. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. Those of you streaming with us online, it's always great to have you with us. And if this is your first time joining us or first time joining us online, man, we really mean you can relax. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and shake hands with anybody or introduce yourself. We're just glad that you're here. So we're in a series right now called Sand People. And what we're doing is we're talking about people who can be abrasive, they can be kind of gritty. Uh, there are people maybe we don't always get along with or they kind of rub us the wrong way. And before you judge me and say, wow, he's talking about people, you know, he's singling out certain people. Listen, we acknowledge that very first week that we kicked this series off that every single one of us can be sand people, right? The things we've been talking about in this series, the first week we talked about needy people, those emotionally needy people that just drain the life out of you. That can be us at times, right? Or like Matt talked about last week, the highly critical people. You know, most of us are in jobs. It doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get criticized, right? But sometimes we can be the person who's doing the criticism. And then today it is no different what we're going to talk about. Hypocritical people, that can be us. We can all be hypocritical people. Now, you're going to be glad that you tuned in today or you came to church today because I'm going to let you in on a little secret, something that you did not know until you came in here today. But did you know that Christians can be hypocrites? Yeah. Doesn't come as a shock to any of us, does it? That's the number one complaint that you hear from non-believers about believers is Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Or when you invite somebody to church, when I invite people to church, you know, I invite people to church all the time. You do as well. But often the excuse that I hear is, eh, you know, Scott, I don't do the, I don't do the whole church thing because the church is just full of hypocrites, right? That's what we hear. And the truth is that's because most churches or most Christians are known for what they're against, we're against this and we're against that and we're against the way you're living. We're against you doing this, right? And when we started this church 12 years ago, that's one thing we said, we are not gonna be a church that's known for what it's against. We're gonna be a church that's known for what we're for and that's Jesus. And that's people to have a relationship with Christ. But that's how churches have gotten that reputation. So, and we want you to invite people on Sundays. That's how a lot of us ended up here. When you invite somebody to church and they give you that excuse, man, I don't go to church because the church is just full of hypocrites. Say, hey, at our church, it's a big church. We always have room for one more hypocrite. So why don't you, you know, why don't you join me on Sunday, right? But it's the truth. So when you hear that word hypocrite, somebody may pop into your mind. You know, maybe it's a politician, Politicians have a tendency to be hypocritical, right? They, they platform and they run on this platform and then all of a sudden they get into office and they don't do what they said or they do the exact opposite of what they said. Or I'm for this issue or I'm against this issue until it comes to their community. And then all of a sudden they flip five. Well, I'm not for that anymore. We see this all the time in politics. Or maybe it's one of your professors or a teacher at school. And they say one thing, but they live their life 
a different way. It could be an actor or a sports star on, on television, but we all know hypocrites. So as we dive into this today, what I want to do is I want to look at the definition of what a hypocrite is. And I want to go back to the original Greek word where we got the word hypocrites. And the original Greek word was pretty similar. It was hypocrites, all right? That was the Greek, and that just meant an actor or a stage player, which makes sense because if you go back and, and you look at uh, the ancient Greek and how they would perform plays, the actor or the actress would hold this big mask in front of their face. And then they would interpret the story from behind that mask. And so when we think of our modern day word hypocrite, it makes perfect sense. It's simply an actor with a mask or it's an actor playing a role. What we need to understand about hypocrisy is Jesus never went light on it at all. As a matter of fact, the verse we're gonna look at, the first verse we're gonna look at, I think really captures the problem of hypocrisy. Now, all of our verses and learnings we use on Sunday, they're available on the Church Center app. If you wanna download that on your phone, you can scan the QR code if you're in the auditorium in the seat backs, there's a link online. But we're also giving out those sheets of paper. It's got some information on the church on the front, but on the back, it's a note page. So if you're like me and you have to write things down on paper, that's available to you. If you don't use it, you can just throw it in the recycle bin on your way out. But let's look at this verse, Matthew 15, verses seven through eight. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, the Pharisees, that was the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They kind of controlled, you know, the people's relationship with God. They would say one thing, tell the people to do one thing, but then they'd live their lives a totally different way. They could talk the talk. They simply couldn't walk the walk. And unfortunately, isn't that us? Don't we see this in our own lives? It's a common problem that we all have. Like I think about Sundays. You know, I'll talk about a subject, maybe it's controlling our mouth or controlling our anger or being gentle and humble with people. And then the very next week, I'm out driving and somebody makes a boneheaded move and something really not that appropriate may come out of my mouth. And listen, if that was you and you can read lips, I'm sorry. I didn't see the church bumper sticker on your car before that came out of my mouth. So, you know, I'll stay after church today. I'll, I'll stack chairs. I'll do whatever, but I'm sorry. Isn't that us? We can be so hypocritical. There's a little bit of hypocrite in every one of us. There's a little bit of that Pharisee in every single one of us. Or for some of you, maybe it's the friend at work, you know, that comes in on Monday morning and talks about what the sermon was about at his church. And this week, it was about being a better husband. And he's telling you how to be a better husband to your wife. But you know that he's secretly addicted to pornography and his marriage has fallen apart. It's hypocrisy. Or it could be the person who constantly slanders other people. And they disguise it as a prayer request right? Oh, we need to pray for Mary because she's doing this, right? It's hypocrisy. 
Or maybe you work in like retail or a grocery store and the boss is so careful about inventory control. We gotta make sure we scan everything in and we gotta get everything on the shelves. And he's the same boss that teaches the loss prevention course every month to new employees. Yet at night, he's taking slightly dented and damaged boxes and cans home for his groceries. It's hypocrisy. Or it could be the person who's always super spiritual, right? Praise Jesus. Hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah, sister. And then they use that same mouth to go home and you know, abuse their wife or abuse their children. It's hypocrisy. And honestly, God hates it. He just despises it. So the question is, when we see hypocrisy or, or sin for that matter in another person's life or the sin of hypocrisy in another person's life, how do we handle it? If you're a Christian, do we have any responsibility in that? Do we have any responsibility to deal with hypocritical people? Now, listen, if you're not a Christian, and I know not everybody is and, you know, a lot of us are still trying to figure out where we're at on that spiritual spectrum. If you're not a Christian today, you get a complete pass. You don't have to listen to anything I say. You can, you can make faces at people today. But anything we talk about on a Sunday, it will help you in your life, whether you follow Christ or whether you don't, no matter where you stand in that relationship with God. But today you get a free pass because a lot of this is focused on those of us that would say, hey, yeah, I am a Christian. So do we have a responsibility if we see the sin of hypocrisy in somebody else's life? How do we handle it? And, and most people, the way they handle it is they ignore it, right? Oh, I, I, I'm not going to care about that. I'm not going to judge. Who am I to judge? What you want to do in your life, that's fine. That's not my business. That's your business. That's one approach to handling it when we see it. The other approach is some people feel it's their God-given duty to always address it, right? And to address it in every single case. But the problem is they confront people about their sin without any love in their heart. That's what's gotten Christians in so much trouble over the years. We've actually hurt more people than we've been able to help people. And really, neither one of those approaches is ideal. And again, I'm talking to, about like a Christian approaching a non-Christian. I'm not talking about, I mean, a Christian approaching a, Christ, a Christian. I'm not talking about a Christian approaching a non-Christian. If we're a Christian, we have no business approaching a non-Christian about their behavior. Well, you're not living like a Christian. Well, duh, I'm not one, right? As a matter of fact, it's harder for a non-Christian to be a hypocrite than it is for a Christian to be a hypocrite. Would you agree? Think about it. Most non-Christians are pretty good at living out what they believe. That's not a negative. That's just the truth. I would venture to say that non-Christians are better at living out their values in life than a Christian is. And if you look at the life of Jesus, and if you look at the teachings of Jesus, he never confronted non-believers about unchristian behavior. But who did he call out? People who claimed to follow God and were living like hypocrites. 
As a matter of fact, that's our first learning. Today, you can jot this down or just follow along. Jesus often called out religious people for being hypocrites. Now, if it's the case of two Christians, when you look at the Bible, there's plenty of examples when one Christian will confront another Christian, right? You, you see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would raise up prophets, and the prophets would speak on behalf of God. God would say, hey, you know, you need to go tell the people this. And often when you read the Old Testament, it was like the people just kind of got sideways on who to worship and what to worship. And the prophets would come to them and say, hey, you know, you love God and, and you worship God, but you're loving these idols and you're, you're worshiping these idols. So you need to get back to just loving God and worshiping God. And people say, oh, okay, okay. So that was the confrontation piece of their hypocrisy. But we also see it in the New Testament. That's kind of where we're going to focus our time and energy today. Uh, and I want to start with Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. But when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul talking, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. Sounds like a lecture you're getting from your parents, right? You know something's coming. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Now, a Gentile was the opposite uh, of someone who was Jewish. You were either Jewish or you weren't Jewish, all right? And if you weren't Jewish, you were called a Gentile. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, Matt would be glad to explain that to you after the service. <laughs> but as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul was opposed to what Peter was doing. Why? He was living like a hypocrite. He was being a hypocrite. Jesus, just in Matthew 6, three times, talks about hypocrisy. Let's look at those. Matthew 6, 2. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be super secretive, you know, every time you give or every time you do something for somebody, but just don't make a big deal out of it. Don't call attention to yourself. Matthew 6, 5. Jesus calls it out again. When you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. All right, and the next one, Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I think this shows us the importance of why we need to deal with hypocrisy because God hates it. So if you're here or watching and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, then we do have some responsibility as a Christian to help other Christians who are living in a way that is not according to the teachings of God. And that can be incredibly intimidating. 
Because again, this is where most Christians have missed the mark. So let's look at some more wisdom. Let's look at what Jesus said. And this is in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. In other words, what Jesus is saying, where there's sin, he's saying it is okay to confront it directly. Sin, hypocrisy, the sin of whatever, if it was towards you. And then when you do it, you need to do it one-on-one. You need to go to the person, not potential sin, not a rumor of a possible sin, not the sin of every single Christian and every single Christian's lives, but you witnessed this and it was against you. This is not a blanket license that allows us to correct every single Christian for every single sin in their life. The goal, if we do confront someone who sins against us, is to restore them to their right relationship with God, right? To get them back on track. And we've all had people do that in love, help us to kind of get back on track when we've gotten a little bit off track. Our goal should never be to shame somebody or to point the finger at them and say, I'm right and you're wrong, but to restore them in love. Now, unfortunately, the goal of some Christians who think it's their rightful duty to confront everybody else's sin, their goal is not to restore them, right? Their goal is to be right. I'm right. I'm living my life right. You're wrong. You know, you should be ashamed of yourself. The goal has to be to restore people and to help people to get back on track. Now, let's look at some more guidance. This, is, this will get you uh, some more guidance to kind of help you with this. And this is for somebody who is caught in sin, but it may or may not have impacted you directly. And that's found in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Keyword, gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So I think we can learn here, yeah, our shop probably needs to be in order before we go and confront somebody else. I got to make sure my life is right. I need to use caution before I ever confront. It's always wise to look at our own life first, isn't it? Before we do anything to confront. And again, our goal always has to be, if I'm going to address this, it's to help the person. It's to restore the person, not to be right. There's a huge difference. So learning number two, when someone is struggling in sin, we should love them back into a right relationship with Jesus. That's why, you remember I said you don't confront a non-Christian about their unchristian behavior? That's what we should do for them too, just love them. Hopefully love them towards a relationship with Christ. Let them see Christ in you, but we also need to do it for Christians who are struggling in sin. I love what James said, James chapter five, 
verse 19 through 20. And this is from the message. James says, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, that's all of us at times in our life, right? Don't write them off. So many churches, so many Christians, they just write people off. Oh, you did that, you're done. You did that, you're done. He says, go after them. Get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. I think about people who in love and kindness when I was young would steer me back onto the right path. Thank goodness they didn't just abandon me. So there's going to be times when God is going to call us to lovingly confront with the goal of restoration. Now, I want to jump back to that verse we looked at earlier, and I want to look at one line out of it. He, he said, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. And then Paul said it again to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So he's given us this warning when we're getting ready to confront someone. So if we decide to confront somebody else, what we need to understand, we're vulnerable to the sin of pride, right? Because we feel justified. We're right. They're wrong. They're living their life in an incorrect way. I'm going to set the record straight. But we got to be careful. Because what comes after the sin of pride? The fall, right? That's why Paul's given us this warning, and honestly, sometimes we just need to take a hard pass. We just need to take a hard pass. We got to look at the other parts of God's word and the wisdom that it gives us. Like love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes we're going to have to lean on that. Or, you know, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. We have to talk to God before we ever confront. God, is this something that you're calling me to do? Or is this just me wanting to look superior to this person? Or is this something that I need to confront? The Holy Spirit will never mislead us on something that the Holy Spirit wants us to do or not to do. But folks, let me tell you something. If we feel compassionate and passionate enough about approaching someone else about their sin, whether it be the sin of hypocrisy or what else, I think we need to ask ourselves why. Because working with people for so many years, and even in my own life, what I notice is we tend to call out sin in other people's lives that's the same sin that we struggle with. Think about that. This is my weakness. I've been impacted by this. This has affected me in the past. I'm going to address it and call it out in this other person's life. So all that to say when we're talking to God about the right approach and what we should do, I think this is the best question that we can ask God. Learning number three, we need to ask God to help us see our own hypocrisy. Before we do anything, that's what we should do. God, help me to see my own hypocrisy. Because bottom line is, we're all sand people. We're all hypocrites. You know, when Jesus talked to about hypocrisy, and he was talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, he called them blind guides. He's like, you're leading the people 
in the wrong direction. You're a blind guide, but he also called them blind guides because they could not see the hypocrisy in their own lives. You are a blind guide. You don't even see it in your own life. Jesus was pretty smart, right? How in the world? He nailed it. Hypocrisy in our own life is so difficult to see. I can see it in other people's lives all the time, but it's harder to see in our own life. That's why we got to ask God, show me my hypocrisy. I don't think there's any better example of that than in the Old Testament, King David. Now, even if you didn't grow up in church, maybe it's your first time ever. And again, thank you for coming. Or maybe you just went to church as a kid and you're like, man, as soon as I get old enough, I am out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. But most people, regardless of church background, they know King David. What do we remember about King David? He slayed Goliath. Oh, and he committed adultery. Right? Poor guy. That's what we remember the most. He had an affair with Bathsheba. Right? And I kind of want to talk about that for a minute and set that story up for you. King David when he, right before he has this affair, he was supposed to be in battle with his people, supporting them on the front lines, fighting this war that they're in. But because King David wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, he got himself in trouble. How many people could give a testimony to that today? Yeah, because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, I got in trouble. So he's not in battle, he's at home, he's walking around on his porch and he looks over and he sees his neighbor taking a bath on the rooftop. And she's naked. All right? And if you're not from here and you say naked, same thing. She didn't have any clothes on. All right? And he becomes infatuated with her. And he sends his servants to go get her and bring her back to the palace. And then he commits adultery with her. And then she tells him that she's pregnant. And so he's like, now, now what am I going to do? And he decides to try to cover up his sin of adultery by having her husband, Uriah, killed. Uriah is one of his soldiers, married to Bathsheba. And he thinks, I'm going to put him on the front lines where the battle's the fiercest. And he's killed. So David essentially has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered so he can take her to be his wife. And he thinks he gets away with it. He thinks, ah, I got away with it. Until one day, a prophet of God comes to David, a guy by the name of Nathan, and he addresses David's sin. Not to be right, not to become all full of pride and say, I did this, David, and you're wrong, and you're the king. No, to restore him back to God. To restore him back to his right relationship with God. So let's read it. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 5. This is the confrontation. This is Nathan coming to David. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. This is a lot of you with your pets, your dogs, your cats. 
one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. And it's okay to have a tear. This is horrible. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Now here's the key. 2 Samuel 12, 17. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Wow. You are that man. You're the hypocrite. You're the offender, David. I guarantee you, we do this all the time. We talk one thing and then we do something totally different. And God comes to us and he says, Scott, you're the hypocrite. You're the offender. You are the one. So I think if we're a Christian, the best thing we can do is stop being the Christian police and always criticizing and always confronting people without any love in our heart with the goal of being right instead of restoration. And I think instead we just say, hey, God, where's the hypocrisy in me? Where is the hypocrisy in me? That's the best first step. We can't go wrong with that first step. We all got tons of issues to deal with. I don't think any of us came or tuned in today without any issues at all. And if we'll ask God to show us our own hypocrisy, guess what he's going to do? He's going to show us our hypocrisy. Guarantee you. For some people, the hypocrisy is, hey, I follow Christ. I love Jesus. But they're consumed by lust. Or for others... It's I'm a follower of God and I go to church every week and I serve and, you know, I give. But then they go home and disrespect their husband or disrespect their wife. Or it's generosity. It's the person that, that doesn't give and they're not generous. And they know what God teaches about that. But they want to know who does give and how much is given and where, you know, it's used. And they criticize the whole process. It's hypocrisy. Or maybe it's the person that says, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. Yet they're working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, all the time, constantly. They think they're getting ahead. They think they're climbing the ladder. They think they're providing for their family. And the reason I'm telling you this is God's convicted me of this several times. And they think they're doing great, but then they go home and they're a stranger to their kids or their spouse. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the workaholic. There can be hypocrisy in that. Oh, I love my family, but on the other hand, you don't have any time for them. You're a stranger when you get home. God simply wants us to see our own hypocrisy just like David saw it. After Nathan confronted David, he prayed this prayer, Psalm 51, verses 7 through 11. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me.
Once David realized he was the hypocrite, he prayed for God to create a clean heart in him. The good news is today, I hope and pray God will convict us of our hypocrisy before we ever worry about somebody else's. And when he does, then we'll simply pray that. God, I blew it. I'm it. Create in me a clean heart. I'm one of those hypocritical people, God. Just renew a loyal spirit in me. If we do that, God will do that. He'll create in us a clean heart. We can deal with our hypocrisy and we can move on. And guess what? We'll get down the road a month from now and we'll do it again. And it'll be something different. We'll say one thing, we'll do something else. Our prayer has to be, God, just create in us a clean heart. Renew a little spirit in us. God knows we're going to blow it. He knows we're going to sin. We're going to be hypocritical. We're going to be critical. We're going to be needy. We're going to be all kinds of things. The strength and the spiritual growth is when we can see that and acknowledge it and then do something about it. Let's pray together. God, you know who we are. Man, you created us. You designed us. Show us our hypocrisy. Show us where it is in our own life so that we can deal with it. Help us to truly not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Help us to be living, breathing examples of you, Jesus. And when we're not, we know you gently correct us to restore us back to you. And that's got to be our attitude with others. Help us to truly be a reflection of you. And as we're praying, maybe you're watching online or you're here in person. And when I was talking about Christians and non-Christians, you'd say, you know what, Scott, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I don't, I don't follow Jesus. Maybe the reason is, as you were told at a young age by a hypocrite, that you had to stop doing certain things in your life or you had to change certain aspects of your life before Jesus would ever love you. I want you to know something while we're praying. Nothing could be further from the truth. The beauty of our Lord and Savior is he loves us just exactly where we're at, just exactly how we are. And all we have to do is invite him into our life. And he forgives us of everything, past, present, and future. We don't have to do something ahead of time stop doing things, start doing things. We just have to open our heart to him. So I want to encourage you today to do that. If you've never done that, just open your heart wide and say, Jesus, you know what? I don't fully understand this, but I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be right with you. I want you to lead my life. And if you do that, he'll come into your life and he'll change your life for good. God, thank you so much for your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you that you've put people around us at times when we get off track that have gently restored us instead of criticizing us and pointing the finger at us. Lord, help us to leave this place today and just be great representatives of you. In Christ's name, amen. A couple things before I let you go that I want to make you aware of. This coming not, what is it? 2023. Let's just do that. July of 2023, our youth 
are going to Passion Camp. Uh, Passion Camp is one of the premier, if not the premier, youth camps in the whole United States. And we were able to secure 45 spots for Blue Ridge Church. And it is in Daytona Beach, Florida, July 10th through July 14th. And before you ask, we don't need any more adult volunteers. <laughs> it's um, $650. It's any middle school or high schooler right now. They got to be an up and coming seventh grader. So by the time we're in July, your sixth graders now be up and coming seventh grader. Now here's, that includes four nights in the hotel where the conference is. And it's like, it'll either be a Marriott, a Hilton, the Hampton Inn. I mean, they're nice hotels, not places like I would stay. There, uh, that includes the conference fee for all four days. That includes the Abbott bus that we're taking from Blue Ridge Church to Daytona Beach, Florida, and then we will bring your kids back. Unless you pay us extra and want us to leave them there, we would do that. It also includes food. So you try to plan a trip anywhere 10 hours from home for $650, it includes all that. But it truly is an incredible experience for youth, whether they're following Christ or whether they're not following Christ. And so uh, there's only, I think, like, 30 spaces or 29 spaces left. They announced it at youth on Wednesday. So if that's something that your kid's interested in, make sure you get a deposit in. Next year, we're gonna try to get more spaces. Again, it's just so hard to get them, but we're gonna try to get where we can take two buses next year. So make sure you check that out. You can sign up at the top three uh, that's on the Church Center app. You can sign up on our website or you can get more information on our website. The other thing I wanna remind you is invite your friends. Bring a friend to church next Sunday. I know sometimes it's difficult to talk about faith, but you know what? People need Christ in their life. That, that's the bottom line. That's the only thing that did it for me. It's the only thing that turned this person around. And it's what happened to you too. And we need to share that with other people. And I know that can be intimidating. You just bring them to church. I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna respect them. And I'll teach them, hey, this is how Jesus can change your life for good. But I appreciate everything you do uh, for this church, everything you do for this community. I hope you have a terrific Sunday afternoon. Make sure you get outside and enjoy the weather, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you guys.